What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Lee, and I'd like to welcome you to the Mind Shift Lab. Each week, we'll bring in a new guest to share exercises, strategies, and mindsets to help you create an internal shift that drives external results in business, the arts, sports, and life. Today, I have with me Clint Pulver. Clint Pulver is a professional keynote speaker, author, musician, pilot, and work force expert. Known as the leading authority on employee retention, Clint has transformed how corporations like Keller Williams, AT&T, and Hewlett-Packard create lasting loyalty through his work and research as the undercover millennial. He has been featured by Business Q Magazine as a top 40 under 40, and as a professional drummer, has appeared in feature films and on America's Got Talent. In 2020, Clint won an Emmy Award for his short film, be a Mr. Jensen, which tells the story of how a single moment in time and one particular mentor can change the course of a life. In his new book, I Love It Here, Clint pulls back the curtain to reveal research and unscripted truths of thousands of employees he has interviewed undercover. Full of actionable strategies and proven methods to diminish employee turnover and skyrocket retention, I Love It Here shares the magic behind how extraordinary leaders create companies their people never want to leave. Clint, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome, Mike. It's good to be on the show. So you got a pretty diverse background. Can you give us a high-level overview (laughs) of kind of where you started and how you got to where you're at today so people have context? Yeah, uh, growing up I was the kid that always had a hard time sitting still. Uh, I still have a hard time sitting still. I would sit in class and I would just fidget. I would move, my hands would tap, my, my legs would move. And obviously if you're in a meeting and someone's clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot, you're like, do it one more time and I swear someone's gonna die. Like that's really annoying. And I got teased all the time, I got bullied, I got nicknamed. And uh, I had a teacher one day that told me to stay after class. And that teacher's name was Mr. Jensen. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm getting kicked out of school as a 10-year-old. Like, this is it. It's the end of the road for me. And the bell rang. He pulled me to the back of the room. He sat me down. And he said, listen, you're kind of the kid that's on the list. Like, you have a lot of issues. You, have, you, know, you tap all the time. Everybody comments on it. You tap in my class. You tap in everybody else's. He said, but I've, I've watched you. And he said, it's, it's crazy. You'll sit there, and you'll do an, an assignment and you'll tap with your left hand, you'll write with your right hand, and then you'll switch the pen. And, he said, and then you'll start writing with your left hand and you'll tap with your right hand. He, he looked at me and he said, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, no, I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> he said, no, he's like, that's not what it means. He said, no, no, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly? And I gave it a go, I could do it. And then he said, can you switch it? And, and back and forth without thinking about it, Mike, I could do it. And he leaned back and he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And sometimes people hear that and they're like, what's the difference between those two things? (laughs) Um, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And I am someone that has always believed in, in moments, like moments matter. And I think that's what we remember in our lives. We don't remember days, we remember moments. And in that moment, he leans back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer 
and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. And I tell you that story because that's really like the origin story, man. Like that's the foundation for uh, a lot of what came to be in my life. And I took that inability to sit still and that belief of somebody who saw something in me that I didn't even see within myself. And we transformed that uh, into uh, my life as a drummer. And I became a, a professional musician. I played the drums for 23 years and I've traveled all over the world and played with uh, many, many cool groups. Uh, been on tour, did the recording world for a long time. And, uh, and that's kind of where it all started. And then uh, it slowly segmented into I had this story and people asked me to start speaking and I started speaking more and more and realized, man, I could go and do this versus being on tour for four or five months away from family and friends and slowly transitioned into that world and then the Undercover Millennial program kind of came out from that, wrote a book. Um, so it all just kind of, uh, and we can talk about all those different things, but yeah. it really stems from that, that foundational story. Do you have any other stories of, you know, it's like, I would be willing to bet that this is not the only story from Mr. Jensen, right? That, that impacted somebody else's life, right? Do you have any, do you know anybody else where like, yeah, he did this for another kid or he saw this in a kid that, that, and now he's doing this with his life because of what he did for him. Do you have any other stories like that at all? Yeah, totally. Mr. Jensen impacted thousands of students' lives. I mean, and he, he was a legendary educator because he understood the importance of being significant in the classroom, not just successful. There's a lot of teachers that try to develop kids. He understood the power of advocating for kids. And there's a big difference there. And I mean, there's been many, many other students that were either older than me or that of younger than me that have heard the Mr. Jensen story and they were taught by him and they said, yeah, the same thing happened to me. Similar experience. He was one of those teachers that I, I'll never forget because he really was good at getting to the part about you. Yeah. And I, I think, that's, yeah. And I asked him, I asked Mr. Jensen, he's still alive. Uh, and he's still a major part of my life. Uh, and I, I said, why me? You know, why was I the kid that got the drumsticks? You taught thousands of kids. Why me? And I'll never forget when we were at lunch, he said, I'll tell you why. He said, I, I, every semester, every term, he chose one kid because he learned early on in education that he couldn't save every kid, mm -hmm. but he could save one. Yeah. And he knew that it was, it was, it was, it might've been just a drop in the bucket, but at least it was a drop in the bucket. And little by little makes a little a lot. And so he focused his efforts on individuals, not classrooms. And uh, man, I, I was very fortunate and very lucky to be one of his ones. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that carries over to your work today. And it seems like a lot of it is very focused on the foundational elements of, of a business, of an organization, right? The people make up the organization. Totally. And if you get the people right, you develop the people, you develop the connections and, and your ability to influence them and develop them, and, or as you'd say, advocate for them, everything else is going to take care of itself for the most part, right? And so how, how has that influenced you as far as your, your philosophy on leadership? Here's the thing. Most, I wish, you know, what you just described, Mike, I wish most people understood. Uh, you know, it, you would think that that would be common sense. You think that most people would understand that. But when it comes down to, you know, the bottom line and the almighty dollar and profitability and scalability, 
sometimes human beings are the last thing on company owners and management's minds. This is, this is what I found. So for the last four and a half years, I have dedicated my life as the undercover millennial. It's kind of like Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that no. show? Right? Undercover Boss. Okay, it's kind of a TV show where the boss of the organization will go undercover into the company and he'll like be one of the employees yeah. and nobody knows that it's the CEO. But he gets a different perspective. And what I've done is the undercover millennial. I'm a millennial by age. That's the generation I fall in. And I would go undercover into organizations as someone who was looking for a job. So I'd walk into the Chick-fil-A or the Verizon store or the Walmart or the mechanic shop. And I'd walk up to the first person I saw and I'd look like how I do today. I have a backwards hat on, a regular t-shirt, and I'd just say, hey, I'm just looking for work, uh, thinking about applying. Um, would you recommend it? Like, is this a place you would, you would say would be a good place to work? And the employee always gets quiet. You know, they, they look around and then they tell me everything, everything. Uh, because I'm not a right. survey, right? I'm not another manager. I'm just another millennial. And we've done that with 181 organizations and I've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. And what we've been able to find is, in my opinion, the most real and authentic data behind how great leaders created organizations their people never wanted to leave. But here's the kicker. Most people, Mike, have no idea. Most managers have no clue when they're doing poorly. Yeah. Because there's no incentive. There's no incentive. I, you know, I don't know your background, Mike, or where you know if you've ever had you know the corporate job. I've never had. If you've had a manager that you don't like. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Good for you. Um, So, for for most (laughs) people, we've all had that one boss, right? We've all had that one manager, and I remember those days. I would never face to face tell the manager like, "Hey, listen, I just want you to know, like, you micromanage everything we do." Or, hey, just so you know, I'm tired of when we win as a team, you take all the credit. Or, or, or when we lose or when something goes wrong, you blame everybody else but yourself. Like, I, I would just never have that conversation, right? That's awkward, that's, unless I just right. don't care. And I'm burning bridges and I, I just, I'm already leaving the organization. Most employees, they'll just, they'll nod their head and say, no, it's, everything's fine. And then fine. they just leave. No, it's great. And then they just, yeah. then they just leave four months later and they're gone. And then the manager sits there and going, oh, geez, it's so hard to find good talent. Oh, just kids these days, right? Like they have no idea. They don't know because there's no incentive for people to tell them. And so that's what we've been able to do and create is an environment where people could speak their truth. And then I had undercover cameras uh, and we would blot out the employees' faces. We would make highlight reels. And then I go in and I train the managers and I tell them what we saw, what we found. And... Everybody's kind of like, oh man, what'd you find? What, what were the problems? What, what were the issues? But the magic, the stuff that really mattered was when I would walk into an organization and I'd go up to an employee and say, hey, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. You should apply. Now, my manager, Susie, you know, our, our, our CEO, like, they're awesome. You should, you should really apply. And then I'd go to the next employee and they'd say the same thing. And then the next and the next and the next and what great leaders were doing to create workplaces where people never wanted to leave, where people actually said, I like myself best when I'm at work. What a concept. Was very rare, but when it happened, it was a pretty powerful thing. So what are some of the things that you uncovered in this research? I know you have, you know, your your five C's of the the mentor 
uh, mentor, manager. Uh, what are some of the things that you unearthed during this research? Yeah, so people, they're not quitting uh, organizations, they're quitting bosses. When an employee hated their job, they talked about the manager. When an employee loved their job, they talked about the mentor. You being a basketball guy, Mike, you'll totally get this. Uh, you've had coaches and you've had mentors in your life that were influential. They were people that connected you to your dream. They were a coach that you decided to listen to because they possessed what we found were the five C's of mentorship. If you have ever had a mentor in your life, they earned that calling. Like you've never had a coach that was just like called the mentor. You've never had a manager that's been, that was called a mentor. No, you chose them because of who they were. And they had the, these five C's. Uh, the first C is confidence. Second C is credibility. The third C is competence. The fourth C is candor. And the fifth C is the ability to care. Those five C's. If you can possess that as, as as an individual, as a coach, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a spouse, as a father, as a, as a mother, then you give people a reason to connect with you. You give people a reason to listen to you. You have a, a sense of, of being the person that because of who you are, you help that person to live a better story. And when managers became that in the eyes of their people, it was incredible to watch what, what happened because of that. Talk about confidence. How would you advise somebody to balance showing up with confidence, but also showing up with humility and vulnerability as a leader? Yeah. Yeah. It's a question I've been asked a lot. Confidence is not arrogance. There's a big difference. Confidence exudes trust. Because remember, your job is a mentor, right? You do not become the mentor until the mentee invites you into their heart. So, like, look at any great story. Like, Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Uh, Frodo had Gandalf. Rocky, I love the Rocky film. Rocky had Mick. Uh, Aladdin had the genie, right? Any great story. Those people have confidence because the confidence exudes trust. They confidently believed in themselves, but they, they confidently believed in the process. I know that I can get you from point A to point B to point C. Now, again, there's the difference of arrogance where it's all about you versus about the mentee. I think that's the big difference. Are you confident in yourself to the point where, yeah, this is who I am, you should listen to me because I'm amazing and I've done X, Y, and Z, and if you don't, I'm gonna fire you. Right, that's a, there's a difference between hey, you should listen to me because I'm here for you and I want to help you and I can confidently get you to where you want to go. Because I've been there before. So if you trust me, I'll help you get there. But you got to listen to who I am. you got to listen to who I, who, who I can help you become. That's my job. There, there's a difference yeah. between those two things. Arrogance versus confidence. Yeah. yeah. So with millennials, like I'm a, technically I'm a millennial too, right? I'm a millennial. But like with millennials and Gen Z, right? A big part of what you're talking about that kind of crosses a lot of these different C's is, is just being able to create connection, right? With the, the people that you are trying to lead to influence and mentor. How, how would you advise people to go about doing this in, a, in an authentic way? And what I mean by that is like, as, as maybe you're aware of as well, 
uh, empathy has been a you know become a buzzword right throughout throughout the business space, whether that's in customer service and leadership, whatever it is. And I have seen this become so infused into uh, different operating procedures and things like that, like with customer service with Amazon or with Apple, whatever it is. It's almost become inauthentic because it's so like overdone. How with millennials and Gen Z having such big BS radars, how would you advise somebody to go in and, and create true, authentic, meaningful connections with people? Yeah, first off, I'd get rid of the word millennial and Gen Z. I think the moment that we start looking at people as a generation instead of people is the moment we do them a disservice, is the moment we limit connection. There's too many people in my industry, in the business space, you know, they've read an article on Forbes, or they, they looked at something on Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur, and they said, oh, the five things you need to do to, to engage your millennials at work. Or, or the, the seven things every Gen Z employee wants from their boss. Like, that's marketing. Those are buzzwords, those are, it's, it's clickbait. And, and, and unfortunately, people use that to, because everyone's trying right. to find like the quick hack. Like what's the one thing that I can do to, to create connection? And there is no quick hack. It's, it's a process and it's different for everybody. There is no one size fits all approach. And I think again, the moment that we can get rid of the stigma and stop looking at people as a generation and look at them as people and realize that authentic, genuine connection does take time. Relationships take time. And you're gonna find, uh, me as a millennial, I found millennials that are, that are entitled. There's millennials that, that they don't wanna work. You know, and they want everything right now. And there's the, the millennials are like, you know, if you don't have free food and you don't give us ski passes, I'm gonna go find another job. But I've also found millennials who are incredibly loyal, that are hardworking, that are determined, that are willing to earn their stripes, that are willing to put, I've seen it. I, I've interviewed 10,000 employees undercover and they're there. Again, there is no one size fits all approach. And so I went to flight school. This is the only way I've been able to kind of explain this. In flight school, there's a manual for every airplane. We all have operation guides. We have the time we're supposed to take off, the speed that we're supposed to land, when the aircraft's supposed to stall. We know those limitations. We know the framework of the aircraft that we're flying. But you ask every pilot, they will all tell you the same thing. Every plane flies differently. Every plane flies differently. And yeah, there's a handbook. Yeah, there's different guideposts. Yes, there might be generational stereotypes or the world's changing. So the economy that these kids have grown up in might 100%. influence that behavior a little yeah. bit. That's great. Those are good guides. Those are good guides. But it will never substitute. It will never substitute for getting in and actually flying the plane. No, no manager is going to be significant in their leadership by reading some Forbes article and then trying to implement these five things that somebody told them they need to do based off of a research study. You, you learn it, you create it through authentic, genuine care, through listening, through creating meaningful moments, through understanding people, getting to know people, like the long, hard, tedious process. But that's how it's done. And it does take time. So yeah, man, that's I can, what I would say. I can totally relate to that from my, from my basketball background, from coaching, right? I had super quick short story, but I had a, a kid that was, that was really talented. He was 13, 14 years old at the time. And I knew that he could, he could be a really, really good player. And 
I just, I couldn't get him to go hard enough in practice. I couldn't get him to work hard enough. And he just didn't, he just didn't get it. And so finally everything changed. We had our mid season player meetings and I sat down with him and I was like, what do you want? Like, what are you trying, what, what are your goals? What are your dreams? What are you, what are you trying to get out of this experience? And he said, I want to be a division one college basketball player. And I told him, I was like, his name was Paul. I said, Paul, you want to be a division one college basketball player. I'm going to start treating you like you are a division one college basketball player right now. And everything from this moment forward is not me against you. It's me with you trying to move you closer to your dreams. Mm. And like when I connected me being hard on him and challenging him and, and trying to get him to be better with him seeing himself playing in the NCAA tournament, getting a division one college scholarship, the, everything changed in that second, everything changed because I was able to create that, that connection with them. But totally. it takes your investment as a leader first to be able to, to be able to do that. And so it kind of brings me to my next question. Like, how do you do that at scale? It's easy to do that when you're running a 20 person division or a, you know, 25 person company. How do you do that? at scale in a 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 person company. Hey everybody, Mike Lee here. I know if you're listening to our show, that means you're a bold, driven, and future-focused leader looking to challenge the status quo and get to the next level. Which is why I've created a guide that blends the worlds of sports performance psychology with mindfulness on how to lock in and consistently deliver world-class, resilient performance in any arena of business or life. You can grab your copy by heading over to mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. That's mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, great influence is always done on an individual basis. That's why when a company gets bigger, they get more disconnected. That's why it's harder to feel seen. It's far harder to be understood as an employee in bigger organizations because you just can't. You're literally trying to do the impossible. And so that's where, again, it depends on the situation. It depends on the company, the organization. Like I would tell a CEO or an executive, how big are, your, are, your, are the teams that your managers are managing? If they're above 10 people, it's too many. It's too many. How do you expect to connect? How do you expect to understand and listen and to really mm-hmm. devote the time that it takes to retain people? It's the same. It's the same thing in, in like a family, right? It's the same thing on a team. It, the bigger you get, the more harder it is to create those moments. And so I would look at the scalability, and then how do we simplify that? And how do we how do we how do we break that down? One of the greatest ways to do that is is a status check. Most most managers again have no idea they're doing poorly. They don't understand the status of their employees. If you're a coach, do you know the status of your team members? And would it be accurate to their perception? I mean, that's how the whole undercover millennial program came to be. I was in a store, talked to a manager, and he said, everything's awesome, we're killing it. And then I went and asked his employees, hey, what's it like to work here? Almost every one of them were miserable. And every one of them were already looking Mm -hmm. for another job. The manager had no clue. So the goal is to create this disconnect of what the employee experience is or what the team experience is versus the perception of the coach. And the bigger you get, the harder that is to achieve. So if I was a coach, if I was a basketball coach, and I really wanted to know how I was doing with my team, 
I would take the time to individually sit down with each of my players and create a moment where I would ask them three questions. Now these three questions stem from the business side of our research, but they can be applicable to uh, anything, whether it's a family, a relationship, a spouse, a team member. The first question is, what can I do to keep you here? What can I do to help you stay a member of our team? What can I help you to not quit and go to some, somewhere else or to just not try out ever again? What can I do to help you not burn out from the sport? Like, what can I do to help make this experience better for you? Because again, you are in, you are in the role of connecting kids to their dreams. Connecting kids to, now yes, there's the win, there's the W, there's the, the development side. But none of that happens until we get to the part about them. That's why that, that story with Paul is so powerful. The second question is, is what's getting in the way of your success? What's getting in the way? Why aren't you working hard? Why don't you want to work hard? Why, why, why do you not listen when I tell you to do something? What, what's getting in the way of maybe your vision? You know, whether it's on a team or maybe it's they're in a workplace and do you want to move up? Do you want to grow in this company? What's getting in the way? Because you want to be the blocker, you want to be the advocate to help to, 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 to create that opportunity. And then the, the third one is, what can I do to help you get there? That's how you check the status of an individual. Like, think about it if you sat down with your spouse and you said, what can I be doing more of to support you? Dude, most, most spouses are never asked that question. Like, yeah. never. Because sometimes we're afraid to ask, right? Well, geez, but they're gonna have a laundry list of a thousand things. This is one thing I have learned, man. Marriage is grand, but divorce is about a hundred grand. <laughs> uh, it's very true. It's the same thing in business. Having a business, a thriving organization, that's a great idea. That's wonderful. But do you realize what it costs your organization every time somebody leaves your company? Or even worse, what yeah. happens when they're in the company and they're just completely disengaged? Right, they're there, but they're not really there. Like you realize what, that, what that's costing in morale and productivity and efficiency and, and collaboration in a team environment. So my point is, is check the status. How do you know what to fix? As so many managers, you've heard that age old saying, Mike, of if you, if you feed a man yeah. a fish, then you feed him for a day, right? But if you can teach him how to fish, oh, then, then you fed that guy for a lifetime. Every time I hear that story, I think to myself, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> like, who said he, I'm not really a fish guy. Like, maybe the dude wants a steak. My, my point is, is you have your ideals, right? As a coach, you know, this is what we're gonna do. This is the vision. This is how we're gonna win. Right. Yeah, but have you ever taken the time to figure out how they wanna win? You know, I, I just think it's, it's a dynamic that we sometimes miss and we overlook. Uh, because again, it's about getting to the part about them and how yeah. do you do that yeah. if you don't. Well, I think one thing that, you, you know, and I don't know if you talked about this in the book or not, but like going back to connecting to your people's dreams, right? Those dreams don't necessarily have to be 100% in alignment with the company's values or, or whatever it is, right? Like going back to, you know, some of the basketball stuff, I had uh, a guy that I knew was really he was awesome at this with his kids and he would he would sit down and he'd talk to his kids about what it, what did they want to do um after they were done playing high school basketball like none of us you know maybe one kid was going to go on and play college basketball but right 
I want to be an architect. I want to be a, a scientist, whatever it is. And he would take whatever that kid was trying to uh, go after in his life and tie it back to basketball to get the most out of him. So I remember this one, one time, uh, he told me a story about this kid who was there really? running, running lines in uh, running sprints in practice. And he wasn't, he wasn't touching the line every time. And this kid wanted to be an architect. And so his connection was, hey, Billy, like if he can't pay attention to enough details to touch the lines when you're running sprints, how are you ever going to be detailed enough to be an architect? And so he was able to, you know, to create that, that connection to the kid, yeah. to something bigger. And I think, you know, we can all as, as leaders find something that one of my mentors used to call this the hot button. Right. Find their hot button, what ignites them, what fuels them, and then figure out a way to tie that to the purpose of the organization so that you can always be uh, have that that connection to something that is deep, deeply meaningful to them. Because you can be in an industry where you're not doing like deep, meaningful work with yeah. something, but you can maybe connect that to something personal to the person. Have you ever worked with companies like that where it's like, it's super cliche, but like a you know a concrete company or like something that's that's a very uh, a commodity uh, uh, industry that's you know heavy in the commodities, right? Where it's just not not doing this like deep, creative, meaningful work, but there's a way to create purpose out of it. How how do you go ahead? I yeah. feel like you got something to, to jump in here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we okay. worked with uh, we worked with a, a dental dental clinic chain like dentist dentist like a dental like the hygienist sucking spit blood working in people's mouths all day long like not a lot of like conversation the dental industry has one of the highest suicide rates of any industry I mean it's just depressing right nobody wants to see you nobody wants to be there and you're, you got your hands in their mouth and it's just anyway so this this dental clinic struggling with burnout struggling with retention this office manager understood though that the importance of growing people that, that, okay, we've got employees, but they're also humans, for goodness sake. Like, they have lives outside of work. And she understood how to tap into that. Because she looked at the hygienist world, and she said, I can't really pay you anymore. Like, we're paying you top right. dollar to be a hygienist. I can't really promote you, because yeah. there's not really anything to grow into. Like, that's your specialty. But then she decided, she said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest. They invested the whole dental clinic chain in Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And she said, you know what, we can't pay you more, we can't advance you, but we can help you pay off your homes. We can't help all of you get out of debt. And if that's something that's of value to you, this is a service that we're offering you and your family. Dude, when I went in and did undercover work, that was the number one thing that employees talked about. Dude, they do this like financial peace thing. My husband and I have been taking it and it's been like life-changing for us. Like where we were last year to where we are today. I go to the next employee. You know, why do you work here? Ah, oh, they just care about us. Like we're all enrolled in this financial peace university. <laughs> like that's the thing that they talked about. And again, they got to the part about them where they just created something that meant something to them that was a little bit outside of work, but again, ignited that, that passion and said, okay, they actually care. And in doing so, it trickled back to what they, they did for the customer. And so that's just a small off, off the cuff Yeah, I mean, example. I think the days are long gone when, when an organization can only pay attention to what happens 
in the in the four walls of the of the workplace and the right it's especially you know i know you don't like using the word the millennial and gen z generations but like that's right they do want purpose right they they want something more out of their out of their jobs they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and uh and i i have found you know i spent my whole life working with them i spent time with like fifty thousand kids that are now the workforce right and I do believe that they want yep. something, be a part of something bigger yep. than themselves. And when you can empower them and give them, uh, create ownership for them, they will go hard and go after something because they do want, a lot of them want to see a better world. They're, they're so, they've been exposed to so much more than, than others have and they want to they create something. And so I think figuring out, you know, going back to kind of, I was talking about with the hot button, right? Figuring out what, what is their hot button and how can you tap into that as a, as a leader or a manager, um, I think is, is a non-negotiable if you want to stay in business. And I want to add to this too, a little bit, Mike, because some people are listening to this and they're like, okay, what is this? Are you trying to tell me just to coddle everybody, you know, just to love everybody. And then all of a sudden everything's going to work great. I just got to get to the part of it. I got to find this hot button. No, there's a level here. There's a balance, okay? I am not the guy that's always like sunshine and rainbows, just treat everybody and love them, and then everything works. No, you've got to have standards as well. It's a balance between standards as a coach or standards as a business owner, and then your level of connection. Sometimes coaches are really high here. They're high on the standards, but they're low on the connection. So what does that create? Rebellion. Or sometimes a coach is really good at connection, but he's really low on standards. He just wants to be everybody's friend. They want to be liked more than they're respected. Then that creates entitlement. So, so there's a balance that always needs to, to take place there. You still have a business to run. You still need to win as a team. You still have goals and objectives that need to be accomplished. So I, I, I'm not saying that we don't, we don't consider that, but it's like it's the bank yeah. account principle, right? You need to consistently make those deposits of trust. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that allows you to make the withdrawals. That, that, that allows you to have those hard conversations with Paul and you say, listen, okay, I've got to the part about you. You've made the moments of connection. You've, you've helped him. You've helped him see the bigger vision. You've got to the part about him. He sees the growth, the potential, the possibility. He loves you. He knows that you're an advocate. But it is because of that that allows you to go, listen, I need you to work harder. I need you to run a little bit. I need you to listen to me. I need, because you've created that deposit. And it, and it increases the withdrawal. So it's a balance, right? But you can't find yourself as a coach or as a business owner looking yeah. at your people like a fireplace yeah. and saying, give me heat, then I'll give you wood. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And far too often, business owners and coaches try to operate right. that it's not. Stigma. It's not sustainable. It's just, it it's, never lasts. People leave, people quit. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah. sustainable. And I th- I think, It'll work for a time. You know, the more yep. compassion you have, yep. the more you can challenge people. It's like, and I think, but as a leader, you have to go first. Absolutely. You can't, you can't challenge people and then, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back. So, I mean, basically uh, this is one of the last questions I have for you really, but like, how do you go about, let's get into some like super tactical things, right? How do you go about developing that relationship so you can connect with somebody and then challenge them to be at their best 
first off, it's again becoming the how, mentor. How do you, you have to achieve? How do you that do first. that? Like, remember, it's not leadership. Yeah, how, how do you? It's how not do you go management. It's it's mentorship. Like, let's say somebody's just. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the greatest things that I saw in, in the corporate world. Yeah. So if I'm a CEO and I'm running an organization and I go, okay, I want my managers to be seen as mentors. What I would do as the CEO is every time there's an orientation, we bring employees in and they get a new manager. I would go in as the CEO or as the HR director and I would go through the five C's and I would tell all these new employees why this manager is the person that will connect them to their dreams. What is, I would showcase my leadership in, an, in, a, in a realm of mentorship. So if you're a coach, for example, I would be doing that for my assistant coaches. Every one of your assistant coaches, you need to say, listen, I want all of you to know as a team why this person's confident, they're credible, they're competent, why they're going to give you honest feedback, but it's because they care about you. Like, like just that, that simple notion of letting them know, okay, you're not just the guy to, you're not the slave driver. You're not the guy that's just harping on me for no reason. You're not just the coach because someone gave you that title. No, you, you're actually, you're the mentor. How do we develop that? How does a mentor become a mentor? They start there. So it needs to be showcased. The second thing I would, I would offer is, is do you have a mentor yourself? All great mentors that I have found, business-wise, in, in the sports world, all great mentors were being mentored. Do you have a coach? Are you being mentored yourself? Are you a part of coaching associations? Are you a mastermind group where you get together and you say, what's worked for you last year? What helped you to connect with the kids? What helped you to get more engagement? What helped you to get more performance out of your kids? That collaboration is key. I wrestled all, all through high school, a little bit of college, and my dad was my wrestling coach through most of those years. And I'll never forget, he'll, every Friday night, he would take me to watch the varsity wrestling matches. And some nights I didn't want to go, and I'll never forget, my dad said, he looked at me and he said, do you want to be a great wrestler? And I said, yeah. He said, then you've got to hang out by the mat. Same thing with basketball. You want to be a great basketball player, you've got to hang out by the hoop. If you want to be a great coach, where are the coaches hanging out? If you want to be a great manager, are you a part right. of a mastermind group or an association? It could be through Instagram. It can be through books. What are you reading and learning that's going to help develop you? Far too often, so many managers and coaches are just put in a position of leadership because they were good at the game. Or they were, they were a yeah. good employee. It does not make you a good mentor. Mm -mm, not at all. That has to be learned, right? You put a hard-to-catch horse in a field with an easy-to-catch horse, you're going to end up with two hard-to-catch horses. It's the same thing with mentorship. Who are you associating with? Uh, that's where I would, I, that's, there's a few off-the-cuff ideas that I think are worth chewing on. Awesome, man. Where can you grab the book and find you online if people want to connect with you? Yeah, the book's called I Love It Here, and you can find it on Amazon. And, uh, and then clintpulver.com is the website, and I'm on all the social media platforms as well. Awesome, man. Thanks for all the work you're doing in the world and jumping on the show today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Mike. What's up, guys? Thanks for taking the time to listen to the show today. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes because it's how we spread the word about the show. Also, remember to grab your copy of Locked In, a digital guide on how to unlock world-class resilient performance 
by heading over to mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. That's mindshiftlabs.com backslash performance. We'll see you next week. Never for titles before survival. The champion. A team role players even with rap.